Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Thanks so much for joining us again. As you know, we're continuing to talk about Jesus' parable, if you want to call it that, saying that I am the true vine, you are the branches. He's going into the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to enter the greatest cosmic battle of all time. He is going to, in himself, win the battle against his human weaknesses and frailties, his own humanity in preference for the will of God. He's going to take the disobedience of man that began when? In the Garden of Eden. What verse? Genesis 3, verse 6. He's going to take the accumulated disobedience of all of his people for all history and to gather it up in himself. And that accumulated disobedience, that spirit of, I don't want to do this, I want to do it another way, etc. That propensity that rests in us is going to come upon him in such a force that is going to be driving him to be falling on the ground. This picture of Jesus in the garden with his hands like this. And look, he would get up and he would be falling. Remember, he was what? Crushed for our sake. This decision was literally crushing this man. And he takes the accumulated disobedience of all of his people for all time. And he has to, in himself alone, make the decision to do what the Father wants him to do, contrary to his own flesh. You see, Jesus was a human being. And if you had hit his hand with a hammer, it would have hurt him. It would have brought tears to his eyes. You know how when you get hit, it hurts? He was a man who had to take a nap. Who had to sleep. Who had to potty. We don't think of him this way, do we? And so as a man... The Son of God in his humanity had to experience the total range of human desires or responses that were bombarding him, but that never did enter his soul, right? He was tempted in all ways, but without sin. 
Never tempted by sin, but tempted to sin. And so here he is in the garden. He doesn't want to go to the cross. Does that surprise you? He doesn't want to go. And so what does he ask the Father? If it is possible, let this cup of wrath, this cup of the payment for the sin of the world, pass from me. His humanity is screaming out. I don't want to do this. Because he's beginning to experience the horror of what it is to be experiencing the wrath of a holy and just God against our sin, which he will carry to the cross. Got it? The greatest cosmic battle of all. But then how does he end his prayer? And this is for three hours, remember. The first hour he goes, second hour, third. Remember that? Three hours. Blood dripping from his brow. Falling to the ground. Probably breathing very... <sighs> this man, if you would have seen him and didn't know anything about it, you would have said, this man needs medical treatment. This was the greatest battle, the greatest wrestling match of all time. And I can imagine that Satan and all of his power exerted everything that he knew to do to come against the humanity of this man so it would break his determinate will to obey God the Father. But what was the end of the prayer? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And when he came to the disciples, remember the guys are sleeping and so on, for the third time, he says, let us arise, for my betrayer is at hand. The decision had been made. I'm going to walk obedient with my father. And he goes to the cross. And at the cross, he pays the full cup of the wrath of God that he decided to obey in the Garden of Eden. The payment, the punishment, if you would, was at the cross. The consequence of his obedience to the Father is the cross. Amen? Is the cross. That's what he embraced. And with what attitude? With joy. Do you remember that? Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy that was set before him. What joy? The joy of accomplishing the eternal will of God the Father to have a people in whom, through whom, the Father's glory would be manifested 
in the glory of the exalted Christ. Correct? Knowing this, knowing this, that my Father will fulfill his purpose for humanity in this event. And that created him a joy in him that overcame anything to the contrary. So what was the result? Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. I know this is not in your notes. What was the result? Wherefore also God has what? Highly exalted him and has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things, what? In the heavens, things on the earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. So when he passes these vines, this vineyard, knowing fully what is ahead of him, I am the vine, you are the branches. And when he uses this preposition in, he is saying that we, his people, are in him, that his decision by the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the will of God and to be obedient to God and be manifesting the full righteousness of God in his humanity, in this man, we are now residing in that man. Do we get it? We're in him. So we talked last week about abiding in him, which means what? We are remaining in him. We are dwelling in him. This is an accomplished work of the Holy Spirit. And in him, we have an eternal security. Why? Why, are we, why do we have a security? How do we know that? Because we know that we are not in Christ as the result of our decision to call upon the name of the Lord. Oh, the Bible says that they who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yes, but it, saves, it says it within a context. We are in him. What does Philippians 1.4 say? He chose us when? Before the foundation of the world. Remember that? And why did he choose us? Why did he choose us? I think I have this other verse right underneath that. Why did he choose us? We have security in him. But why did he choose us? Because he loves us. Okay. But what is his ultimate purpose in choosing us? Would someone read that verse, which is right underneath there, in your notes? Isn't it in your notes? Is it? Say it again. I can't hear you, AJ. Why? 
You see 2 Corinthians 4.11? Why did he do it? The whole purpose of our salvation, the whole purpose of us being in Christ, the whole purpose of us abiding, remaining, he is our resting place. The whole purpose so that Jesus, the life of Jesus, may be revealed or manifested, how? In our mortal bodies. Do we see that? That's the purpose. We must make sure that we understand the security that we have in Christ because he indwells us. And then purpose of God the Father for choosing us before the foundation of the world. Why did he choose you, Steve Zeringer? And by the way, good to have you all back. Why did he choose you, Steve Zeringer, before the foundation of the world? That's right. So that he may be manifested. I think I have the right verse in mind, but someone look up Ephesians 2.11. I think that's the, the verse I'm looking for. Ephesians 2.11. Can someone do that quickly? No. I don't think that's the one I'm looking for. Uh, that we may manifest his excellent glories of him who called us out of darkness. No, that's Peter. Sorry. Why? So that we may be manifesting his, the excellencies of his grace. 2 Corinthians 4.7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? So that the surpassing greatness of his power may be manifested in us. In us. So let's continue. That's the first way that Jesus uses the word abide. You're in me. So let's now turn to the second way that Jesus uses the word abide in John 15. And by the way. I think part of the confusion of John 15, when, you, you, when we look at these words, we think that a word, the same word used in a different place in the paragraph, is used exactly the same way. Where well, it isn't. And so we have to be careful about that. Here's what Jesus says about the word abide, the second use of it. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me. Now, all of a sudden... You see, we're talking about fruit as a result of abiding. Okay, fruit as a result of certainly remaining, but there's now an activity involved. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we now see there's something about abide here that has is more to do. It's not having to do with just dwelling. It has to do with an activity. Jesus uses the word abide in this context to emphasize how we reveal him in our mortal bodies. Remember what we said, 2 Corinthians 4.11, what? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested or revealed in our mortal bodies. Well, how does that happen? Well, it happens initially as God places us in Christ but that just because we're in Christ doesn't mean that the life of Jesus will be manifested in us. Now that we are in Christ, now he's talking about the way we live. Now that we have been brought into God's house, now he's talking about the way we live in God's house. So we see the difference. And we don't want to get the things confused. 
because if you get them confused, what's going to happen is we're going to interpret, which some do, and they're going to teach this. If you don't abide, if the way you're living isn't according, you know, you could be kicked out of the house. So how do we live in God's house? That's what's being talked about here. It's not saying if you don't live a certain way, if you don't clean your room, if you don't eat all your peas, you know, if, if, you know what I'm talking about, right? If you don't dust, if you don't do whatever, you can't live in my house. Now, we may be like that, but God isn't like that. Let's remember this. Before God brought you into his house, now think, before God brought you into his house, how much did he know about you? I can't hear you. Everything. What was excluded from that knowledge? Nothing. His is, or was, if you would, a comprehensive knowledge of us. Is that correct? Do you agree with that? Therefore, when God brought you into his house through the atoning blood of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, when God did that, he knew you weren't going to clean your room. Cody, he knew that you would be angry and say something nasty. Bex, he knew you would be lazy and not go to school one day. How many of us believe that there is anything that we do or will do that God first did not know it fully? And knowing it fully, A.J., knowing it fully, Warren, knowing it fully, Peter, knowing it fully, Mahaney, listen. Knowing it how much? Tiffany, how much? Fully. He brought you in anyway. Can we grasp this? Can we let that simple yet profound truth get deep into our souls? He even knew that you were not going to be faithful from time to time. He knew how many times you would commit that one sin. You know that one sin that easily throws us over, besets us? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody not know what I'm talking about? Miguel, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, <laughs> yes, you do. <clears throat> Did he know it, brother? Did he know how many times you would do that same thing? He knew it. And yet, what did he do? He said, Holy Spirit, go bring my son or daughter into my house. Now in him, we are to live in a cooperative way with the Holy Spirit. Not for the purpose of remaining in the house. Can we get that? but for the purpose of manifesting the glorious grace of this one who has called us into the house, the glorious grace of this one who has purchased our salvation so that we could come into the house, and the glorious grace of that one who has brought us into the house. 
that is his spirit, correct? This is what abiding in Christ as to the way we reveal or his, his, his holiness is revealed in us means. This is what that means. It does not mean, as some teach and get confused, that if you don't abide, if you do whatever and so on, you cannot remain in the house. He's not like we are. He's not like if you do that one more time, you're going to get kicked out of my house. He's not like that. Now, does that mean that God, that we can do anything we want with impunity? You know what impunity means? Who knows impunity? Without what? Without any consequences. Can we do anything we want, Nathan? Can you do anything you want with impunity? No. Well, suppose you tell people that they're secure. They're secure. They'll do anything they want. <laughs> Have you ever looked at the Bible to see who this God is? He is able to what? To keep us. Amen. God will keep us. Now, what happens if we do this and that? Can we lose our salvation, they say. And here's my answer. Someone asked me that, Jason. Can you lose your salvation, et cetera, et cetera? I say, I don't know, but why don't you go ahead and do these things and you tell me? So Jesus is talking about our continually remaining in communion. Why does he say this? Because he knows that we have a very constant and strong and continual aptitude, proclivity, a predisposition to interrupt the flow of his life in us. Amen? Knowing that we have that ability to interrupt the flow, not to cut ourselves off from the vine, but to interrupt that flow of the Holy Spirit in us, he tells us, abide in me. Continue, continue to abide in me. So what he's talking about is this, our manner of life. Our manner of life has to do with the way he is revealed in us. Okay? The word walk is the word parapateo in the Greek, which means your manner of life, the what you do on a constant repetitional basis. So listen to some of these. I think you have them in your notes, some of these scriptures. Romans 6, 4. Walk. Do you have in there abide in the parenthesis? Walk, abide in newness of life. Does that help you to kind of begin to put it in a better context? Because we... we we separate the meanings of these words because they are different words used in different places. So Jesus could have said, walk in me rather than abide in me. As I walk in you, walk in me. And this is the way my Father is glorified, remember verse 8, that you walk in me and so prove to be my disciples. So we could put the word walk there. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. Walk or abide in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. How? With all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another. Ephesians 5, 2. Walk, abide in my love. 
1 Thessalonians 2.12, abide in a manner worthy. Walk in a manner worthy. Let your life be so lived in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And 1 John 2.6 is a real kicker too. The one who says he lives in Jesus. How many of you say, I'm in Christ, I'm saved? How many of you can say that? Most of you can say that. So most of you are saved. The rest of you listen differently. The one who says, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm going to heaven. You got it? Ought himself to walk in the same way, the same manner of life as Jesus himself walked. Now, can you say that? Can all of us say that we are walking in the manner of Jesus' life? Now, be careful how you answer. We should be able to say, I am, but not perfectly. Amen? See, we don't want to use a verse like this in a condemning way. If you're not walking like Jesus, sister, you're not a child of his. Well, how many of us would say this? I do walk the same way as Jesus walked. I do it. Don't you? Do any of you walk that way? Let me put it another way. We're funny people. We're funny. Dane, this is a, this is a funny thing. How many of us, man, you don't let me much room to squeeze past, do you, man? Ugh. He has broad shoulders. I can lean on them. How many of us would say, I am a righteous person? How many of us feel funny by saying that? How many of us hesitate to say that? Come on. If you hesitate to say it, raise your hand. I'm serious. Raise your hand. Jason, you need to raise it higher, brother. Raise your hand. Warren, do you ever hesitate to? If someone says, I know Warren Duncan. You're a righteous man. How many of us would? <laughs> Warren Duncan? If I were to say to Debbie DeLong's people, Debbie is a righteous woman. Some of them may fall on the floor, Debbie, I don't know. You're kidding. You're kidding. I heard her. I'm not going to say anything. I heard her. She would fall on the floor. Uh, let me pick on the worst person in here. Peter Davidson, are you a righteous person? Now, you say it's easy to say, Pastor Peter is a righteous person. Isn't that easier for you to say than to say that you're a righteous person? Now, come on. Give me the truth. Because, you see, <clears throat> you see me in the context. But if you were to tell my wife, your husband is a righteous man of God. Well, sometimes... But if I am a righteous man of God, even one time, may I say that again, please? If I am a righteous, can y'all see me on TV? Hey, hey, Brenda, how y'all doing? If I were to say I'm a righteous, can I say, I forgot my train of thought. Brenda, you did that. 
if I was only a, a righteous man just one time, just one time, Renee, just once, can I say I'm a righteous man? Because my ability to be righteous even, how many fingers do I have? If my ability to be righteous, what? One time. My ability to be righteous, how many? One time proves I'm in Christ. Because a person who's not in Christ has absolutely no ability to be righteous any time at all whatsoever. So you see how we evaluate ourselves? Do you begin to see how we do that? We judge ourselves according to the things that we don't like and agree with. Come on. Am, am, am I talking about something that none of us have experienced? And yet when it comes to other believers, and the Lord has convicted me again of this, when it comes to other believers, if that person's a believer, that person is a holy, sanctified, righteous child of God. Period. Not, but, but. And the command to each one of us is to walk in a way where the holiness and righteousness of the Lord Jesus himself is being manifested in us, right? That's what abide means here. Continue to do this. Continue to remain in communion. Now, we're not going to talk about how to do it and all that. That's a whole new section of thinking and so on. But that's the command that Jesus is saying here. Now that you're in me, live in such a way that my life is being manifested in you, through you, to others. Paul says it this way in Galatians 5.16. <clears throat> but I say, abide or walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. So we're talking about all of this being righteous and living this way and abiding. How many of you thought this? I'm going to try harder. Come on. You just failed just then. No, no. I say this, and I met with someone not too long ago. And when I told him, he was like, oh, oh my goodness. It's like saying Jesus was a demon. Stop trying to abide. Stop trying to live. Start cooperating. How many of you know that when that little guy, little girl at the table is looking at the asparagus and pushing it around on the plate, eating everything else except what? The asparagus or the peas or the broccoli or the whatever. And you say what? What, what does a mama say? Eat your food. And the child says, I'm trying. Now, come on. How many of you know that child's not going to be successful in doing it? Come on. Come on. Come on. Anybody? Can you, can you relate it to real life? I'm trying. What, is that, what does that say? I'm not going to get to do it. Well, I don't want to do it. 
Let's eliminate trying from our vocabulary in a lot of ways. You see, I cannot successfully try to live by the Spirit. I cannot. I can only cooperate with the Spirit. Correct? Once I try, I have put the burden on myself as to the will and work and power rather than acknowledging that the Holy Spirit is the source of my ability, of my will, of my success, with which I am commanded to cooperate, to yield to, to receive, to believe, to embrace. Do we understand that? He says, abide. Jesus says, abide in me. This is the way that Genesis 1.26 is fulfilled. You know we can't teach anything in here without going to the source and the foundation. Because everything of this mortal life and our eternal life is stated in Genesis 1.26. This is the way we image the presence and the glory of God. Amen? By being first in Christ and then second living his life, or rather, sorry, allowing him and cooperating with the Holy Spirit and reproducing his life in us. Next week, we're going to talk about the fruit that is a result of that. Thank you.